Now, my name is Alex, for those of you who maybe I haven't gotten the opportunity to meet yet, and I'm a part of the team here at Coastal, and it is a privilege to be able to be here tonight in this capacity to share with you a little bit of what I believe the Lord has put on my heart for um, our church tonight. And we're working our way through the book of Philippians, and I can't believe that we're already on our sixth week. We only have two more weeks after tonight, but I just feel like it's flown by. Do you feel like it's flown by? Yeah, it's gone really fast. And Philippians is such a dense, a rich book. There's so much there, and I feel like we can't even scratch the surface in eight weeks, but it has been such a fun time diving into it together. And we're going to do a little bit of a recap, a quick four-point recap for those of you who might be joining us for the first time tonight in this series, and also a recap for the rest of us so we can remember what we've gone through so far. So the book of Philippians is actually a letter. It was written to the church in Philippi um, by Paul and Timothy. And at the time, Paul was actually in prison. So he was writing to the church from there. And the church of Philippi was in a pretty good time in the life of their church. There was a sense of momentum. Things were going well. Um, But there also was this sense, and Brett taught us a little bit about this, that there was a, a sneaky sense of disunity that was starting to creep in at the time. And two weeks ago, Brett walked us through um, the process of salvation in light of this letter. He taught us that we are sanctified, we're justified, sanctified, and then glorified. And in more simpler terms, um, there's a moment, the moment in which we accept Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. There's a journey, and then there's a destination, And then last week, Jay walked us through this concept that Paul shares in chapter 3, that we are supposed to watch out um, for people who tell us that there's this idea of a gospel plus Jesus. Because the truth is, is that we don't need to earn our salvation. We can't earn our salvation by works, but salvation actually happens through faith. It's a gift. So during this series, in light of that, there's been a couple of things that have caused me to ask myself this question. What does it actually mean to know Christ? Because it's evident in the way that Paul's communicating to the church and the things that he writes and his anointing that Paul knows Christ. He has a great relationship with the Lord. And the Lord uses him continuously to speak to churches, to be an encouragement, to challenge, to bring correction. Um, So it's very clear that he has a great relationship with God. He knows Christ. So I'm wondering, have you ever asked that question? What does it mean to know Christ? I've been asking myself that so much the past couple weeks. And I remember as a little girl hearing stories in the Bible about the disciples. And they had quite the privilege to know Jesus in a way that's much different than we know him today. They knew him as he existed on earth as a human. And that is so crazy to me. Like, it's always been crazy. As a little girl, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And today, as a 23-year-old, I still can't wrap my mind around it. It is so crazy. Imagine the privilege of walking alongside Jesus um, in the purest sense of the word, really walking alongside him. But there's also these people in the Old Testament that we hear about that really knew God. They had a great relationship with God. And one of those people is Abraham. And Abraham is known as a friend of God. He knew God. He walked with him. And so much so that still today in 2023, we remember Abraham as a friend of God. And there's someone like Moses. And 
Moses had his times, but Moses too knew God. He had a good relationship with God, and he talked to God as if he were a friend. He knew God. So growing up, I looked a lot at the life of the disciples or the life of someone like Abraham or Moses, but there's a couple key people in my life that I knew had a really good relationship with God. They knew God. And they didn't even have to really say anything. They didn't have to flaunt it or be overly confident about it. It was evident that they knew God by the way that they lived their life. Everything seemed to flow out of their relationship with God. There was a passion there and a love and a reverence for God's word, a love for God's people. And one of these people was and continues to be in my life, my grandfather. And my grandfather, uh, he's a great guy. He has a great story. Um, But my my grandfather has a crazy testimony, like an insane testimony. And I remember the moment where I found out that he actually didn't serve Jesus his whole life. It, it shocked me. It blew me away because he knew, he knows God. He has a great relationship with God. And I was probably around six or seven years old. Um, and I was sitting in the back of the church in a little room off the sanctuary for like an old classic Sunday night service. You know what I'm talking about? where everybody that's over 75 comes out and we all search the Lord and revival breaks out in those moments. We all know the truth is there. But I was sitting in the back of this service at probably like six years old and my dad was sharing and he was sharing a little bit about my grandfather's story and I'd never heard it before. And he shared with the small crowd that my grandfather was once a criminal. And I was like, oh my, he was... He was a criminal, but his life was radically transformed by Jesus. The good news of the gospel changed his life. It changed the course of his life. And I remember sitting back in that room with all this great, these precious little grandmas around me, just weeping. And they didn't notice. Thank you, Jesus. I was just weeping there as a five or six-year-old because I couldn't fathom The idea that someone who walked so closely with the Lord at one point was so distant. Someone who now walked with the Lord in such a way that they were an example to me of what it looked like to have a relationship with God. They were once so distant. They were in direct opposition to the plans that God had for their life. And for me, that moment of hearing my grandfather's story, just a little glimpse, taught me a couple of things. It taught me that first, there is nothing quite as redemptive as the love of God, because if he did it for my grandfather, surely he can do it for anyone. It is possible. And it also taught me that it really is possible to have a genuine relationship with the Lord, one that really switches the way that we see life, one that changes our life, and one that shows us that, re- that righteousness is a possibility. And the evidence of those two things was really clear in my grandfather's life. But I also do believe that it is and can be clear in our lives today here at Coastal on the South Shore. So I want to dive into this idea of knowing Christ and what that means. So we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 3. Jay spent a little bit of time on the first half last week. We're going to pick up where he left off. Um, So Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 20 says this, and you can follow on the screen. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or that I already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straight and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should, look at such, should take a view at such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I've often told you before, and I tell you now again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, God, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is quite a dense section of scripture. There is so much in there. And we could probably spend several weeks just on this part of the letter to the Philippians. But I want us today to focus on a couple key things that pertain to the idea of knowing Christ. And in this letter, Paul mentions righteousness. So my first thought for us tonight is that righteousness is a gift. He says this in verse 9, I consider them garbage. He's talking about what he previously had, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or works, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So if we know that righteousness is a gift, we need to know that righteousness is in direct opposition to self-righteousness. So for clarity's sake, what is righteousness, you might be asking? What is godly righteousness? Godly righteousness is essentially meaning um, right living, or to be living in right standing with God. So if that's what righteousness means, to be in right standing with God, self-righteousness means the opposite. It means um, there's a sense of overconfidence in yourself or believing that you're superior to others. And biblically, the idea of self-righteousness often represents the idea of being able to earn your salvation through works instead of receiving salvation through faith. So it's important for us to know that if righteousness is a gift, that righteousness and self-righteousness cannot coexist. It's not possible. And if we look at the life of Paul, we can see that prior to knowing Christ, we can see that pride and self-righteousness were like the vehicles that were driving his life forward. That was how he was getting stuff done, and that's how he was attaining his status. All Paul would have cared about was what he thought of himself, what other people thought about him, and what he could gain in the process. But Paul's life after salvation was the polar opposite. It was the opposite of self-righteousness. He suffered much. 
So many things for the sake of seeing the gospel move forward, for the sake of God's will being done in and through him. He suffered. He suffered through imprisonment a couple times um, and just physical suffering and people not really thinking very highly of him all the time. He struggled with that often. But now that Paul's experienced Christ, he's experienced the redeeming love of Christ, his life um, existed to live in humble pursuit of God's will. And righteousness is received as a gift from God through Jesus. And we receive the gift of salvation through faith. And when we receive that gift, we're now open to the possibility of being in right standing with God because the conflict between our sin and righteousness, our sin and what God has, um, has been resolved through Jesus. Someone explained righteousness and the experience of righteousness and salvation coexisting like this. They said, to be in Christ is nothing else than having righteousness, which comes from God. They're a package deal. They come together. It's a two for one. Righteousness is also received by faith. And Paul says in this section, the couple verses that we just read, that he doesn't want a righteousness that is achieved by works. He wants a righteousness that comes only by faith, through, by God through faith. So the gift of righteousness is received by faith, and it's available to those who believe in God, those who believe in him and desire a relationship with Jesus. So my first thought is that righteousness is a gift. My second thought for us tonight hold your pants, is that relationship costs something. So verses 7 through 8 of what we read previously says this, But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So the idea of relationship costing us something, what does that mean? Well, essentially, it means that relationship with Jesus costs what we previously had. And in this section of scripture, Paul uses really strong language to compare his life before Christ and then after, after encountering Christ and doing life with him. Because Paul's now living in the fullness of what God has created him to be. He knows what it is to live in freedom, and now he knows how not great everything was before Christ. He says that everything that he previously considered to be of gain, he now considers to be loss or detriment when he sees his life before Christ through the lens um, of what God wants for him. He says that everything that he would have once considered good, he now considers garbage. And Garbage is probably the PG word for what Paul was saying here. What I'll say is, he, whatever he was comparing what he had before to, it was a lot stinkier than garbage. That's what I'll say. Paul's life was once super distant from God. So much so that he hated Christians. He hated God. He killed Christians. That's what he did. He was living in complete opposition to the purposes that God had for his life. So in that moment of transformation, when God met Paul on the road to Damascus and his life was changed, he accepted the gift of salvation, there would have been things that Paul would have had to leave behind. The radical change that happened in Paul's life wasn't without sacrifice. After Paul chose Jesus, he chose the gift of salvation 
there would be things that he would have to leave behind. And those things could have looked like pride or self-righteousness, um, a lack of trust. Those are the things that he would have had to given up to follow Jesus. And his intimate relationship with Jesus, that closeness that he had, would have cost him to surrender what he wanted for his life and to trust what God had for him instead. And this is also true of us today. I don't know about you. Maybe you have this part figured out, but I'll confess, I don't yet. My relationship with the Lord, there is almost a daily surrender of what I want for what God wants. Um, and it's not always fun. I much prefer my quick timing, um, my creative ideas, but they're not always in line with what he wants for my life. So there's a sacrifice for me. There's a sacrifice for us of what I want, what we want. But when I look back at my life, at all those moments where I laid down what I want, um, I can clearly see that it's never not been worth it. God's plans and his desires for me in my life have always been better than what I wanted for myself. Anything that I could have created for myself, what he has for me is significantly better. And maybe you're still stuck on this idea of what is she saying? Relationship costs something. She sounds crazy. I promise I'm not 100% heretical tonight. Every relationship in our life costs something. There's a level of sacrifice that, ha that comes with every single relationship we have, whether that be your marriage or your friendship, a dating relationship. Um, sometimes that sacrifice looks like where you want to go for a vacation and what your wife wants to go on vacation, it looks a little bit different. So you just sacrifice for what she wants. Or maybe your wife, although she hates walking, watching hockey with you, maybe she'll agree to watch the second game this week just because she knows that you love it. That's sacrifice. That's a nice little sacrifice that you can make. Maybe a sacrifice in your friendship looks like you really don't like sushi, but your friend loves sushi, so you go out for sushi. That's a sacrifice. There's cost in every relationship. And Jay shared last week that we don't, we don't earn our salvation by works, and that's true. But there is a sacrifice that comes with any relationship. And in our relationship with Jesus, we have to sacrifice our will for what God wants for us instead. But when we experience the freedom and the joy um, and just the blessing that comes with that sacrifice, we then learn that although it may cost us in our relationship with Jesus what we want for what he wants, um, he's faithful to always, always show us that what we want is never better than what he has for us. What Jesus has for us is far better than anything that we, could, that we previously participated in or that we could participate in in our own will. And when we reflect on the life of Paul, we see this super clearly. Paul once lived a life of destruction and hate. He, um, it was pretty messy. But when he met Jesus, when he met God, when he encountered the radical love of God, he received the gift of salvation, and then he began to operate in what God had for him. And then what was once a life of destruction and hatred began to be a life of restoration and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. But realizing what God has for us, being, is, realizing that what God has for us is better than what we have for us isn't always a super fun or easy process. I think back to the life of the rich young ruler, and he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I'm doing everything right. It's going really well. I'm following all the laws. I'm following all the rules. I'm doing this works thing. It's, doing, it's really going great for me. But I am curious. I have this one question. How do I get that 
heaven thing? How do I get to spend eternity with you? And then Jesus broke it to him. He said, you know what? Um, You just go sell what you have, give your money to the poor, and then come follow me, and we'll get you there. You'll get there. Um, And the rich young ruler didn't really like that idea a whole ton. He, He decided... He decided that what he had created for himself was far better than anything that the Lord had for him. And I can't imagine what the rich young ruler could have accomplished for the kingdom of God had he decided to make the sacrifice that Jesus was asking him to. But he chose to believe that what God had for him couldn't possibly be better than the life that he created for himself. He decided that the sacrifice of the things that he loved wasn't worth it to follow Jesus. Following Jesus and living in the gift of righteousness that is made available to us by faith is far better than anything that we can get apart from Christ. I want us to remember that tonight. So righteousness is a gift. Relationship costs something. And my last thought for us today is that relationship and righteousness are the means by which we accomplish the goal. So we've, we've unpacked what righteousness means, how it's a gift to us, and how we know that we have the ability to be in right standing with God because he's welcomed us into relationship with him. And when we accept the gift of salvation and we step into the gift of righteousness, the tension between sin and right standing with God is resolved through Jesus. And we know that now our relationship with Jesus requires trust. It requires a little bit of sacrifice. It requires giving up what we want for what God has for us, for his plan and his purposes. And now we know that relationship with Jesus will bring us things that are far better than anything that we could create for ourselves. So now knowing those two things, we can begin to see that relationship and righteousness are both super vital parts to the experience as a Christian. It's the means by which we accomplish the goal. Paul says this in verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or that I have arrived at my goal, but I press on and take hold for that which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting that that which is behind me and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So what is this goal that Paul is alluding to? Paul's alluding to eternal life. That is the goal. That is the hope. We can't get there alone, though. We can't get there on our own strength. We can't get there through works. And this is why relationship and righteousness are so key and vital to our experience and lives as Christians. And Paul acknowledges in this verse that he hasn't yet arrived but he has a confidence that he will as he forgets what his life once was and he presses on ahead towards the goal. He knows that he will attain the goal. Life, the rest of his life spent in the eternity, less of eternity spent in the Lord's presence. But Paul also knows that this is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And it's also important for us to acknowledge that this is a process as well. It's like getting to know a friend. You don't get to know a friend in a moment. It's a process. It takes a bit, but it's a worthwhile journey. And two weeks ago, Brett walked us through the process of salvation, how there's a moment, the moment where we decide. There's a journey, and then there's a destination as well. There is a moment. 
The moment we encounter the love of Christ and we make him Lord of our lives, that's the moment. And it's from there that we begin to forget what we are leaving behind us. And then maturity, that's the journey. This is where we grow. This is where we trust God um, as he takes our broken life and he begins to transform it into what he has for us. And then in the journey, we're awaiting Jesus, which is the destination. None of us are there yet. I hate to break it to you, but it's worth the wait. And knowing Christ, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Knowing Christ is the peace that makes this all possible. We first have to encounter Jesus to be able to have a relationship with him. And we have to be able to have a relationship with Jesus to achieve the goal. You can't skip a step. It has to happen in order. And we have to participate in relationship to get there first. So when I think back to being a little girl, I think back to being that six-year-old crying in that room with a bunch of people over 75, I think the reason why I was so shocked that he was who he has become now because I lacked an understanding of just how powerful the transforming love of God is. I couldn't fathom it. I couldn't begin to understand. And I couldn't fathom that a life who had one, that had once been so far from God could actually become an example, not only to myself, but also to the people around me, to the people around him. And that moment was the beginning of my understanding, the beginning of my understanding of the freedom and restoration that comes when we know Jesus and when we have a relationship with him. It was my beginning of understanding that when I trust God with my life, when I set aside the things that I want for what he wants, it's far better. Things turn out better. And Coastal, I want you to know that the journey, knowing Christ, salvation, righteousness, it's all a process. It doesn't happen completely in a moment. What starts in a moment takes a journey to get to the destination. We can't rush through it. So my question for you tonight is, where are you on that journey? Are you finding yourself at the threshold of a moment, a moment of giving your life to Christ, a moment of trusting him with who you are, with what you have, with what you want? Are you at the threshold of a moment? And if that is you, I do wanna say that although it might require a little bit of sacrifice, it's worth it. Although it might require a little bit of sacrifice, he'll meet you where you are. And although there's a little bit of sacrifice, there's nothing before the sacrifice that will pale in comparison to the joy and the peace and the restoration that you'll find in Christ. But maybe you've made the decision, you've had the moment and you're on a journey. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you've made the choice to follow Jesus and your desire is to live a life that matches your new identity that you found in Christ. But maybe at this part that you are in in the journey, you need to invite the Holy Spirit in to do a work in you, to help you get rid of maybe some of the remaining things that you haven't quite left behind you yet. Maybe you're, the step that you're at is inviting him in to, to help you with that difficult work, but trusting that it's worth it. None of us are at the destination yet. It's a process to get there. But we're going to jump back into worship, and I want to leave you with the question. Our salvation, 
righteousness, of relationship with Jesus is all a process. It doesn't happen in a moment. So where are you tonight on the journey, Coastal? Where are you? Where do you find yourself? And where might you need to invite the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart to help you leave things behind as you press on with more boldness than you had before? Would you stand with me as we pray? God, thank you so much for who you are. God, we're so thankful for how much you love us. God, that you care too much about us to leave us where you find us, that you wanna take us on a journey. God, a journey of trusting you, but also a journey of being empowered through your Holy Spirit to become who you've called us to be. So God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear the way that you're speaking. God, that you would give us ears to hear maybe the things that you wanna help us leave behind us as we press on towards the goal. God, we thank you for the opportunity to have relationship with you, the opportunity that it is to know you. We don't wanna take it for granted. So God, we love you and we trust you. We trust that what you have for us is far better than anything that we could ever ask or imagine. So it's in your name we pray, amen.